Well, good morning. It's good to see you folks today. It's a beautiful day that the Lord has given us to gather in this building with these folks, you. Um, and so um, I'm thankful to be here. The last few weeks have been a little busy. Last weekend we were away for a wedding down in Tennessee and then came back and left several of us to attend the Together for the Gospel Conference in Louisville, Kentucky this week. Um, with about 12,000 people singing and hearing God's word preached. And as wonderful and great and fantastic as all of those things are, there's nothing like being gathered here in the local church with these brothers and sisters in Christ. And so it is good uh, to be here today. I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for God's grace and his work in the life of this church. To encourage you now to turn to Romans, Romans chapter eight. We're gonna be looking at verses 29 through 30. I'm going to read verse 28, but our focus will be verses 29 through 30. Pastor Jeremy led you last week through verses 26 through 29. He got to the word predestined and stopped. He said, I'll let Adam take care of the rest. It's like he almost went to the edge of a cliff and looked over and said, I think we'll let Adam jump. Uh, and so appreciate that dear brother. I mean, uh, not really. He's faithful, brother. I appreciate him so much and grateful for his gifts in teaching you and faithfulness in shepherding you. Let's pray together as we begin. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that by your spirit you inspired it for our good. We thank you, Lord, that your word is profitable and useful. We're thankful that it has power. And so Lord, as we just express through song, we ask now that you would speak. You would speak through your word, that these words would resonate in our hearts. And Lord, that even as we consider the depths and tr of the truth that we come to today, Lord, that we would find the truth here as an anchor for our lives. So Lord, would you speak to us now and help us for our good and your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God does not abandon his people in the midst of our present sufferings. This is a massive and life-changing promise. It's what Romans 8 teaches. You need this truth like you need air in your lungs as a Christian. God will not abandon his people in the midst of present sufferings. God is present and God is active in the midst of our present sufferings. But there will be countless times in each of our lives when we are tempted to question that very fact. When you lose a job, when a child goes wayward, when the doctor tells you it's worse than they thought, when your plans and dreams come to a grinding halt, when a relationship goes south, 
The temptation in your heart is going to be, how in the world can that be true, that God works all things for my good, that God does not abandon me in the midst of present sufferings? What Romans 8 teaches us is that not only is God present, he is actively present. Last week, Pastor Jeremy walked you through verses 26 through 29 showing that we have help amidst our present sufferings, namely, that the Spirit prays for us. When we have no words to pray to God in a given situation, the Holy Spirit takes our weak and feeble words, sometimes no words at all, and he cleans them up, and he prays in accordance with the will of God for our sake. So we have a spirit who prays for us, and we have a God who works for us. That's what Jeremy preached last week. He prays, he works. Namely, he works all things, everything for our good. I'm going to read these verses in just a moment. If you look at verse 28, I want you to look at the, the verse here. Paul says this, and we know. We know that God works all things for good. Do, do, you, do you see the confidence God has, or that Paul has in God? Do you see the, 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 the assurance and the confidence, the hope that Paul expresses here? And we know, I mean, this is an amazing statement of confidence. Do you have that this morning? Can you say, and I know that God works everything for my good? Can you say that today with absolute confidence and assurance in God? My prayer today is that God would grant you this confidence and that he would strengthen you in that confidence, in that hope, in that assurance. As we think about this promise and we know that God works all things for good, Paul not only says that as a fact, he explains why that is true. And that's gonna be our focus today. How do we know God is working all things for good? Let's look at Romans 8. I'm gonna read in verse 28 down through verse 30. Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for, because, here's the reason, we know this is true, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. Right here in verses 29 and 30, Paul gives us five assertions or five reasons, we could say, why we can know that God is actively present in the midst of our present sufferings, working all things for our good. All five are five words that we find in verses 29 through 30, for new, 
predestined, called, justified, glorified. These are the five words that we're gonna hang out with today as we consider why we can know God is at work. First reason surrounding the word foreknew is this, God loved you. Reason number one, why you can know with confidence that God is working everything for your good, even in the midst of present sufferings, is because God has said he loves you. He has loved you from long ago. The word foreknew, for those whom he foreknew. A lot of discussion about what that word means. It means to know beforehand. It's used several times in the Bible and Romans 11 verse two, it's used in reference to Israel. If you look over there, God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Go to 1 Peter 1 20, it's a word that's used in reference to Jesus. But this knowledge, this foreknowledge, when you consider it in the, in the biblical text, it, it seems to be something more than just mere awareness. I mean, I foreknew what I was going to wear today, right? Laid it out last night. This word seems to be a little bit more than that. A couple of other texts I think that are helpful. This is a massive uh, concept and it really ties well into point number two and so we'll pick it back up again in just a moment. But, but one from the Old Testament, one for the New Testament. Amos chapter three, verse two. God speaking to his people through Amos. You only have I known. Speaking to Israel, you only have I known of all the families of the earth. Now, did, did, not, did God not know about the Edomites or the Philistines? Well, most certainly he knew about them. Most certainly he knew everything about them. Of course he knew them. But here it says, I, uh, you only, Israel, have I known. Must be a different kind of knowledge here than just mere awareness. Knowledge of facts. Matthew 7, verse 23, Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. He goes on and says, many will say, did we not prophesy in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. I mean, he, he, he didn't know they existed. He, didn't, he wasn't aware of them. No, he was aware of them and he knew they existed, but he never knew them. And so again, the word knowledge there must mean something a bit more than just simple awareness. To be known, to be particularly foreknown is much more than just a mere awareness. It points to a loving relationship. It points to not just an awareness but on a relationship that's based upon God's covenant love with his people. We're gonna continue into point number two in here just a moment, and these two really tie together, but friend, let this encourage you today. As we even walk into the beginning of this passage, for those whom he foreknew, there's this idea here that God is teaching us through the apostle Paul that as children of God, God knew you 
before you even took your first breath, before the first mountain was formed and created, before the sun and the stars and the moon, before all of these things existed, God knew you in a very particular way. This knowledge has led many to, to say we could, we could almost translate this word for loved. This knowledge is so intimate and connected to God's covenant love that this is an awareness of God's love for you. He loved you. So brothers and sisters, let this encourage you today, long before, especially in the midst of present sufferings. And sometimes we take verse 28, 29, and 30, and we kind of lift them out of Romans 8, and we look at them because there's such a depth of theological understanding here. But when you put them nicely back into their context and let the context be, be seen, you begin to understand. It's in the context of suffering. It's in the context of in, enduring these present sufferings. And one of the graces God gives us in the midst of our present sufferings is he tells us, he reminds us that we were known and loved by God before time. So when you're tempted to think, has God abandoned me? No, friend, he has loved you before eternity. Point number two, second reason why we can know that God is actively present in the midst of our, present, in, in the midst of our sufferings is that God chose you. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brothers. Well, here we go, the word predestined. This word has caused a lot of trouble throughout the ages. It's caused a lot of heated debate among Christians, and that's unfortunate. While there's a lot of debate about predestination, one thing is absolutely certain, it's in the Bible. So we have to, we can't ignore it, pretend it's not there. I think that's what a lot, that's, how, that's kind of how I grew up. We just didn't talk about it. And it's a sad indictment because it's one of the very means of grace God gives to his people to comfort them in the midst of affliction. It's not only in the Bible, it's in the Bible for a reason. Again, namely for our comfort. Think about that. One of the comforts God gives us in our suffering is the doctrine of predestination. I mean, have you ever thought about that? It's in the text. It's right here in the context. This, this, is, this is what he's doing. He's, he's encouraging and he's reminding the people of God as to why they can know with certainty Romans eight twenty eight is true. You've been loved by God and you've been chosen by God. Meaning of this word is straightforward. It simply means to decide beforehand, to determine ahead of time. See it used in other places in the New Testament. In Acts chapter four, verse 28, it, it's interesting. We typically don't have a problem with this word until we begin to apply it to salvation. Verse, Acts four, 28, Peter and John praying for boldness acknowledged that Herod and Pilate along with the Gentiles did whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Another place, 1 Corinthians 2, verse seven, 
Well, it says there, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed or predestined before the ages for our glory. Honestly, the debate around predestination, we're not going to exhaust it today, by the way. Um, it's going to come up again in chapter 9. So um, if, you, if your heart is troubled here, just go read chapter 9 today and be edified and pray for the next few weeks. Uh, it, we'll, we'll unpack it quite well in Romans 9, 10, and 11. And so if you think, well, he didn't really talk much about it today, well, we're going to talk more about it later. So the debate really isn't so much around the fact that it's in the Bible or the fact that it means to decide beforehand. Most people acknowledge that. The debate comes around how it relates to the previous word. Those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. And so there's where the debate rests. Some say that God predestines us to be conformed to the image of his son based upon, and it's true, he does it based upon his foreknowledge. But some will say, well, it's his foreknowledge of those whom he sees ahead of time that will believe in him. He looks down the corridors of time and he sees, okay, all of these people are going to respond to the gospel. I predestined them to be mine. So a lot of people see this. And so they'll say, those whom he foreknew, and then they add foreknew who would believe. It's not the text, but they add that. Foreknew who would believe. God predestines. So the predestination is not ultimately based upon foreknowledge. It's based upon self-determining faith. That's what some would say. Others simply say that God chose us based upon his foreknowledge of us or his, what I said earlier, his covenant love, his commitment to us. So the question is, in other words, does God predestine us based upon something good he sees in us ahead of time, namely our faith? Or does he predestine us based strictly upon his covenant love for us? Ephesians 1, 5 and 6, I think help here, where it says, in love, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ, according, here's a great place for Paul to write, according to foreknown faith. Doesn't it say it? According to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. So then predestination is a work of God before time whereby he sovereignly chooses us to be saved, ultimately that we be conformed to the image of Christ, not based upon any foreseen work by us, but solely on his loving knowledge and relationship to us. there's more. Paul is really not trying to unpack the concept of predestination here as much as he'll get to that in chapter 9, but he wants to show us the purpose of predestination or to be cho- or, or, or are being chosen. There's a purpose. Notice he says in the text, and we know, or excuse me, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed. That's the purpose. You were chosen to be conformed to the image of Christ. God loved you before time began. He chose you, not just to, to, some, to, to nothing, he chose you to be conformed to the image of his son. In order that 
He, the son, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brothers. And so there's this idea of our, of our family, the family of God there. We're brothers, sisters to Christ. Christ is our elder brother, we could say. And we're predestined to be like him. So here's, here's the point. God, God doesn't merely choose to save you to go to heaven. He chooses you so that you'll become like Jesus. So when you become a believer, it's, the only, it's only the beginning of a process that isn't finished until you receive the redemption of your bodies, which we've looked at in previous weeks, glorification. So the point being is that God is working all things out for your good. Everything going on in your life right now, the good and the bad, God is working everything out in your life so that as those who have been foreknown and loved by God before eternity, chosen in eternity past, that you will eventually be transformed to to live in perfection for all of eternity. So God's plan for your life is to change you. I used to work many years ago now. Um, I used to work for a little company that Bell Helicopter bought. So ended up working for Bell Helicopter, civilian side of things, and uh, did several different things there. But one of the things that this company would do is that we would bring in old, older helicopters or, or slightly used helicopters. And they would bring them in in order to totally refurbish them. I mean, they would strip them down almost bare, New interior, new landing gear, new electronics, new engine upgrades, new windshields, new wiring, new paint scheme, you name it. And when they would get finished with those helicopters, they would look amazing, brand new, worth lots of money. Well, friend, in a similar way, in a much more infinite way, this is what God does to every believer. It just doesn't take your dilapidated, broken helicopter body (laughs) and take you to heaven. He saves you and he makes you new. That's what God does. That's what he's doing now. And through those circumstances, good and bad, all things, that's what he's doing. He is working out all things for your good. And what is the good? to be conformed to the image of Christ. He's making you more and more and more and more like Jesus every single day through every single circumstance. Notice that this was so that Christ might be the firstborn among many brothers. Firstborn, the Bible highlights the firstborn throughout the, uh, throughout the Old New Testament, but in the Old Testament, especially as a child that was to be specially dedicated to God, the firstborn would enjoy priority status, we could say. And so here we're told that we are predestined to be like Jesus so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Namely, that we would eventually be a family where Christ would have preeminence over us, yet stand in solidarity with us. We're being made in his image so that one day we, when we receive new bodies, we will be complete like him as we inherit eternity. So listen, if you're a Christian, then it's the result 
of God's foreknowledge and predestination, whereby you were chosen to be progressively made like Jesus, so that in eternity, Jesus, as our elder brother, will rule the world. And if you back up to verses 18 through 25, specifically verses 24 and 25, we're told that we will be co-heirs, so that we will, with him, He's preeminent over us, but stands in solidarity with us in some wild way that I still don't understand completely. We will be co-heirs ruling the new heavens and new earth with Christ. Listen, brothers and sisters, predestination is not an easy doctrine. I, I, I get that. I still have questions about it. But it comes up quite often in the Bible. It's gonna come up again in chapter nine, but, but here's the takeaway for today. Listen, predestination is not a doctrine you should neither fear or disregard because God has given it to us to understand our own confidence so that we can have confidence and comfort. Listen, you would not be a Christian were, were, not, were, were not for predestination. You wouldn't be. Had God not chose you. So we have everything to gain from it. I think sometimes we, we like Romans 8, 28, knowing that God works all, we cling to that promise, but friend, that promise is grounded in God's eternal sovereign decree. You don't get 28 without 29 and 30. And so when you want to get all hot and bothered about these kinds of deep theological words, you need to understand these are the very grounds from which God is working everything for your good. God chose you. Number three, God called you. Those whom he foreknew, he predestined, and those whom he predestined, he also called. This word here means to summons call out. Friends, this, this calling, though, is, is, again, it's got a little bit more behind it than just simply to call out. If I was to say, hey, everybody, it's a call, right? You may or may not look up. Some of you did, some of you didn't, right? It's a general kind of call. This call is a little different, you need to understand that while God's predestination has to do with God's activity in the past, his calling has to do with his activity throughout history, even in the present. Notice, all of those God foreknew and all of those God predestined, he calls, every single one of them. Meaning that he brings about his sovereign plan to save us through the preaching of the gospel where we are made aware of our condition through the preaching and teaching of God's word and our need of Christ. The things that people like to bring up when it comes to these, these doctrines of God's sovereignty. What about faith? What about repentance? You gotta believe, you gotta repent. Yes, you do. And we have a hard time marrying those teaching sometimes with the sovereignty and sometimes we err one way or the other and what the Bible does is it holds them in, 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 in perfect union even if we don't understand it entirely. So right here, the call of God, he calls us through the, through the gospel. 
There are two types of calling you need to understand and differentiate. There's this general call, the outward preaching and sharing of the gospel. Goes out to everyone within hearing, can be heard and rejected. We preach, Jesus saves, some respond, many don't. It's a call to Christ, come to Jesus. Something that we want to do every week here. We want to encourage you. If you're here today and not a Christian, we want to tell you, come and trust in Christ. The general call. Then there's also what scholars have called the effectual call. The effectual call is not the outward preaching of the gospel. It is the inward preaching of the Spirit, we could say. It's the inward work of the Holy Spirit whereby we are shown our sin and our need for Jesus and the Holy Spirit makes makes effective what's been determined beforehand. So the calling here in Romans 8.30 is the effectual call of God. This is a powerful summons. It, It has power in it. So when the general call of the gospel goes out, Those who respond in faith to that truth are responding because of this inward call of the Holy Spirit, whereby the Spirit of God is awakening your affections to say, I need Christ. I need that Jesus you're preaching. I mean, think about this, brothers and sisters. Think about the the day when you believe the gospel. Many different testimonies to that in here, right? Some of you were led to Christ one-on-one, and others of you may be in a group setting or a gathering of some kind. Think about this. Why did you believe in the gospel and others didn't around you? Is it because you're a more logical thinker and put things together quite well? I mean, the general call goes out and some say, don't need it. Others say, don't believe it. And you said, I have to have it. Why did you do that? And this person over here laughs and scoffs denies, rejects. Friend, that had nothing to do with your wisdom. It had nothing to do with your will. It had everything to do with the sovereign work of the Holy Spirit calling you. Jesus goes to the tomb of Lazarus. And he says, Lazarus, come forth. That call had power so much power that it raised the dead and the dead came forth. Friend, we're spiritually dead in our trespasses and sins, but God made us alive. You didn't, your self-determining faith, glory be to me, no. God made you alive. God called you to himself, glory be to God who saves sinners. The effectual call, the moment when God shows your need. I want to, just the call of God. You could just read all over the place. You'd be surprised. Just go home, however you want to do it, in your concordance, search on your Bible software, on your, your phone, and just type in called and go through the New Testament and look how many times the people of God are referred to as the called. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22 and following. It 
1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. Where's the one who is wise? Where's the, where's the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called. Those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Verse 30, he, 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 he is the source of your life in Christ Jesus whom God made our wisdom and our righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Therefore, it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Why? Because he saves you. He calls you. Glory be to God. So reason number three, why Romans eight twenty eight is true, is that God not only loved you, not only did God choose you, he called you in time. That, that work where you heard the gospel and believed is evidence that God is for you. Reason number four, God justified you. Those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, every single one of them, not a dropout, he also justified. There's a problem that has to be, uh, this, this, um, this, this verse, verse 29, these verses, verse 29 and 30, are often referred to as the golden chain of salvation. Because God from over, he predestined, he called, he justified, he glorified. It's a golden chain. It's a linked chain that is unbroken. But there's a problem between links two, one and two, and link five that has to be addressed. How do we get from eternity past predestination to eternity future, glorification. Because there's a massive problem in the way and it's called what? Sin, right? We, <laughs> we're, we're the problem. And so God, as God calls us, we hear the preaching of the gospel, we respond by repentance and faith to the preaching of that gospel, God justifies us. There's the need for justification, which is the legal declaration of full pardon for those who respond to the gospel. You don't get from predestination to glorification without justification. It's like standing on our East Coast and needing to get to Spain. There's a vast ocean in the way, right? You're not gonna walk there in your own effort. Somebody's gonna have to take you there. That's really reality of, our, of sin in our lives, standing between our predestination and glorification is this vast ocean of sin and our need to be declared in the right before God. Justification is that bridge between God's work in the past and his work in the future where you are acquitted of your sins and you are declared right 
Friend, if you're, if you're here this morning and if we were to have a conversation on the side and you were to say, I really don't think I'm a Christian or I'm not a Christian, but just wanted to be here today and we're thankful for that. And you were to come to me and you were to say, I'm really tripped up on this foreknowledge, predestination stuff. I'm not a Christian. Friend, I would tell you one simple thing. Understand that what God has done in the person and work of Jesus Christ, he has done for sinners everywhere. And if you would but turn from your sin and trust in him, you will be saved. And then you'll know I must be part of God's elect. Don't worry about whether or not you are. Friend, if you have any inkling in your heart to trust in Jesus, trust in Christ. Trust in Christ. Call out to him to save you from your sin. He is the only way you'll be made right before God. Justification. One of the things that you and I desperately need is to be justified before a holy God. We've already seen that in Romans. And one of the things, brothers and sisters, that gives us encouragement in the present, in the midst of our present sufferings, is the fact that when we believed through the call and working of the Holy Spirit in our lives, when we believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ, at that moment, a declaration was made in heaven that this person is no longer condemned. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So when the the weight of this world comes crushing upon your shoulders and when the sufferings of this present time are alive and well in your life and you are wrestling with whether or not God has abandoned you, you've been justified. Jesus died for you. He shed his blood for you, friend so that he could forgive you of your sins and declare you righteous before his father. And friend, if he's done all of that, we'll see this again next week, if all of that has happened, do you think that he will abandon you? The reason we can be confident and comforted by Romans 8, 28, the fact that God works all things for good is because not only did God foreknow us, not only did he choose us, not only did he call us, he justified us. Point number five. God will glorify you. Those of me predestined, friends, you have to see, I mean, this is an easy passage.